good evening. Welcome to another Friday night episode of Juno Beach Podcast. Tonight, because it is a themed episode, like we said last time, we are going to be reviewing the 2015 movie, Sicario. Uh, this was starring Emily Blunt. Who else? What's the... Uh, Emily Blunt. Emily Blunt, Benicio Del Toro, Josh Brolin. And Daniel Kaluuya. And Daniel Kaluuya, as the sort of three... Four. I guess top billing. So four top billing. This is a movie. Um, and so Emily Blunt plays Kate Maser, who, right from the get go, okay, you sorry, stop, that stop, she... one second. If you haven't watched the movie, watch the movie. Yeah, we. So we are going into major spoilers for this. We are movie. spoiling I mean, the entire like, thing. We are doing. We are we are picking this movie for all it is worth. We're so if reviewing you've not seen it. this movie. Pause yeah. the episode. What's the runtime? Take the two hours out of your day. It's not mm-hmm. like you're doing anything else. Take the two hours out of your day, watch this movie, and come back. Come and back, to this or just listen, and we'll spoil the entire thing. But please exactly. don't do that. Um, but yeah, so we're gonna go through uh, the whole sort of plot of the episode. We're gonna talk about sort of the what we pulled from it, and then we're gonna go into the historical context um, of of the movie uh, and and sort of the background because it, it never it really like explicitly states what's going on, but it pretty heavily hints. Uh, add a few things. Anyways, Declan can go ahead, continue with the... So, right from the get-go, we understand that Emily Blunt's character, Kate Maser, um, plays by the rules. I mean, I'm sure if you've seen enough sort of crime dramas, you you get a sense for what kind of character the the by-the-book FBI agent is. Very idealistic, straight-laced, yeah. Yeah, Emily Blunt plays the idealistic FBI agent in this movie, which... And she does it quite well. Mm -hmm. Um, Her partner, Reggie... Um, who's played by Daniel Kaluuya, so if you've seen Get Out or Black Mirror or Black Panther, another great actor. Mm-hmm. And he, so he, um, they both lead a hostage rescue raid, and then they discover, what is it, it's 40 corpses, right? It's like 43 corpses, yeah, so there's it's no like hostages, a, but after a bit of a tense firefight, they, uh, they yeah. discover like 43 corpses in the house, uh, and, then and a bomb detonates. A bomb detonates, which, blows up a few cops, uh, yeah. So after that, Kate is called into a meeting with a bunch of sort of government suits who you know nothing about. You actually, yeah. you know nothing about anyone in this movie. You don't even get any backstory on Kate, who's our main character. Like, you learn pretty early on that she's quite competent. Uh, which, and... which I think is, you know, points towards this movie being a bigger statement. If you mm-hmm. don't, if there's not a ton of characterization, then it's probably a, either, it's either a bad movie. Yeah. Or it's about something else. There's zero character development. The only sort of development is a character we meet later on who we sort of yeah. learn a bit more about as we go on. But yeah, look, right away, you know nothing about any of these characters. She's called into uh, uh, these this meeting with several government suits, most notably Josh Brolin's Matt Graver. He's a government agent. Um, and so she is recruited for a special task force to take down the Mexican cartel responsible. Uh, because of all the corpses and the blowing up of cops, Obama is demanding a very, very they, heavy hand. They want to crack down on the cartel that's responsible for this. Yeah, yeah. So she is being flown out to the border, and she meets uh, our sort of other main character, uh, Alejandro Gillick, who's Benicio del Toro. So he's pretty clearly a traumatized man. Uh, he's on the task force. Uh, he's Latin American, uh, so she's, he's not an American, so there's a bit of mystery around him. Uh, and so she questions Matt about like who he is, what he's doing, um, and they're all. He deflects all of the the questions, um, basically just saying like, "Well, do you want to bring down the guy who did this, et cetera, et cetera?" 
which she obviously says yes. Um, so all three of them, as well as several like U.S. Special Forces guys and Mexican cops, do a cross-border raid into Juarez uh, to capture a minor cartel leader. Um, and as they're going through Juarez, you sort of see how brutal the cartels are being. Uh, there are several corpses in various states of togetherness being hung, hung up from bridges uh, and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, and so you immediately get the sense, like, yeah, these cartels are not good people. Um, and, and, you know, right from sort of being introduced to Alejandro, who's um, Benicio del Toro's character, it, it's pretty obvious that he's supposed to be the sort of, I guess, if this were a more lighthearted movie, he would be the bad cop. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? Like, he, you know, he's obviously more brutal than Kate. And you immediately kind of, you get you get bad vibes from this guy right mm-hmm. from the start. Scary vibes, like creepy yeah mm-hmm. but and... you also get soft vibes like as i mentioned there's like a, a scene where he has a bad dream you don't see what the dream is like everything in this movie is through kate's eyes basically um but you sort of sense that there's something going on um but he's a very sort of simmering type of person yeah yeah um so yeah they 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 capture this cartel guy pretty easily but then when they're getting across the border they are stuck in in traffic, uh, and they see these two cars behind them that are full of of cartel members, uh, supposedly people with guns. Um, and so, to call it an action sequence or a firefight would be a bit of a, an overstatement. How, uh, the shot is like a like a minute start to start to finish this whole scene. It's well, it's it's long. It's about six minutes, but it's very tense. Um, no, but they're oh yeah, because they're sitting in line. They're sitting in line at the border, and there are like people behind them. Uh, but essentially, what ends up happening is the Americans get out of their car, uh, minus Kate, um, and essentially just execute these uh, these these cartel guys. Behind yeah, them. it's it's two cars of suspected cartel members. In the middle of, like, if, if you've ever been to these border checkpoints, you know how it is, you know, these very long lines of regular people mm-hmm. all around. And they just, they Fill the car to with apprehend bullets, yeah. these cartel suspects right here. One dude gets out of the car to start with and puts his hands up, and then he raises his weapon. And literally, I think it's within, like, ten seconds, the Everyone's shooting dead. stops. Yep. And literally every single cartel member in the car is in the car is dead yeah and then kate almost gets owned by uh i guess a cop a corrupt cop or something and she has to shoot him uh and she sort of has a what the fuck have i gotten myself into moment um and so yeah they've blatantly endangered civilian lives and then they're joking about it like this isn't gonna even gonna be in the news in el paso Uh, yeah so kate and reggie uh they confront matt because what he did was like blatantly illegal um and he basically reveals that this cartel guy even though he he did it um the goal was never him he they're just trying to disrupt drug operations for an even bigger cartel i think it's called the Sierra yeah. cartel so that the second so they're, can... they're trying they're pretty much trying to lure in a bigger fish yeah uh because they've got the second command of the Sonora cartel in america and they're trying to draw him across the border so that uh, they can, he will Pretty lead them Pretty much they're back. trying to draw him out of, you know, the actual jurisdiction so that they can do whatever they want to him. Yeah, well, they want him to lead them to this sort of elusive kingpin in, in Mexico. He's like a sort of El Chapo type of figure. Um, so 
yeah, they're, they're just trying to find that guy. So you see this minor cartel boss uh, first recognize Alejandro and then get tortured by him. Uh, you don't really see what he reveals beyond, like, a location of a cross-border tunnel. But yeah. he gets tortured. I, I thought, didn't they get that information from the uh, that scene where they go to the immigrants, though? I thought it, it they, might be it that. Was... Well, either way, they point guns at yeah. a bunch of undocumented immigrants, too. Um, so, anyways, Which, you know. but they torture this guy who recognizes Alejandro, uh, and one of the... And that immediately sort of gets you, you know, thinking, thinking about what yeah. Alejandro's past really is. Was he a good guy? Is he a bad guy? Yeah, so, um, then some special forces guy takes Kate up onto the roof and, and shows her, like, a massive battle across the border in Juarez as the cartel splinters. Um, which is obviously supposed to be a feel-good moment, like a look what you did. Yeah, like oh look, the the cartels are destroying themselves now. But you you took out this one guy, and there's all this violence. So yeah, she feels shit. Um, yeah, and so they they go on to then raid a bank. This is in America. This is in America. Yeah, and so so they raid a bank that's suspected of having cartel ties. Turns out it's pretty much entirely owned by the cartel. Yeah, um, and so. Kate. I think it was pretty neat, though, how they kind of tipped... Like, it, I guess it, I, it's not very subtle, because, you know, Kate acts on it, but how all the money in this bank is... The the cartel money is tied up with these specific, like, wristbands. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then later, like, after the raid... So they decide to... So they freeze the accounts of so the yeah, cartel again, So Matt tells them not to do it, but Kate goes into the bank and orders all these... Uh... These accounts, yeah. like, freezed after they take out a bunch of people outside the bank, and so she's seen on security cameras. Um, and then Reggie and Kate both run into an old squad member of Reggie's from Afghanistan, so Ted. So played Kate by John Ted go back to Ted's apartment, and then she sees one of those wristbands. Yeah, and they and you have a very realistic off. kind of uh, fight scene, because, like, obviously, like, you know right from the beginning that Kate is very good. Um, and she's very fast, but she's, she kind of goes for the gun, but doesn't get there fast enough, and then she's yeah. just overpowered by and, that guy. And, if yeah, you've any... Ted is just huge. Yeah, like, it's John Bernthal, he's the Punisher. Um, yeah. he's big. Um, so he's about to kill her. Uh, he's just choking her, uh, and, and then uh, Alejandro just, like, comes up from behind him, uh, and, and stops him. And so it's kind of, re it's revealed that Matt and Alejandro, ever since she went into the bank... This. Yeah, they've planned it. They've been using her as bait to find cartel agents, so Ted is like a corrupt cop. Um, and they torture Ted for information. There's a very uncomfortable, wet willy torture scene. Uh, Alejandro sticks his right. finger into Ted's ear, and I remember I, I was reading a thing when someone saw it in the theater, and like when they showed it, everyone was kind of laughing, but like if you think about it, like, that imagine be, someone, like, like jamming their finger into your ear. Doing that with force would, like, it's bad enough if it's, like, light, but doing that with force would just, like... Yeah, yeah. that would be bad. Um, so very, he very creatively tortures Ted. Um, and so Ted reveals a bunch of corrupt cops. Um, so then they're, they're, so the, the guy gets called back, the lieutenant of the, uh, the cartel gets called back. Um... And so because they know where the cross-border tunnel is, they're sort of following him. They're not going to apprehend him before he crosses the border, obviously. Uh, and so there's going to well, be... Yeah, because then they would have to do things like give him a fair trial. Mm, can't there's have that, that, yeah. Um, well, we'll get to that. Uh, so yeah, there's a big raid on the tunnel, at which point um, Matt sort of reveals to Kate uh, and Reggie, who's tagging along because he's her partner, um, that they're basically just patsies. Uh, so Matt reveals that he's a CIA agent and they need FBI 
in order to operate in American soil. Uh, so there was never any point in having Kate on the task force beyond giving them the jurisdiction to do all this shit. They needed, yeah, it's like some bureaucracy that they needed Kate on the task force in order to have any sort of authority mm -hmm. to do anything on American soil. Yeah. Uh, and of course, they've just, that's why they've been treating her like shit this entire time, and she's just yeah. stuck with it out of a desire to see it through. Um, yeah, like, in her mind, it's, we're gonna take down this cartel together, and in their mind, it's, we need this we need this agent so that we can do our job. Mm -hmm. And it sort of reveals what their job is later on, and it's quite a twist. But, um, yeah, so uh, Kate is, again, just sort of being upright because she saw the 42 dead people, and she was like, I need to deal with these. And So anyways, um, so they raid the tunnel. Uh, Kate sticks with it anyways, just sort of a desire to, and to, to sort of see it through. Uh, and Reggie sticks with her because he's her partner. Uh, and so... Um, at this point, the only people who sort of get to the other end of the tunnel, just not because anyone dies, but just because they get there, uh, are, are um, Alejandro and Kate. So, you, so Kate sees Alejandro kidnap a guy named Silvio. We've sort of seen him throughout the movie. He's not really yeah, he's a, to the plot like, yet. He's with his son in like the third scene, right? Yeah, so you sort of, it sort of builds up this Silvio guy as like a cop and potentially a corrupt cop, but like a nice guy. So yeah, you see so him like playing you, you soccer see, you, with his kids. You, you see him before he gets mentioned by name, mm -hmm. and then he gets referred to, I think, by Ted. Yeah. Is that is that right? It's not. No, Ted doesn't give up his name. Like we don't but really see Silvio. We, we, we managed to find out that he's a corrupt cop, and so it already, you know, you're starting to see that just because it's a corrupt cop doesn't mean it's a bad person. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and like you even learn, like they go way more into detail uh, developing who Silvio is a person than anyone else feel like you know that his favorite breakfast is scrambled eggs with jalapeno um yeah. but so he's he's a corrupt mexican police officer um and so kate tries to stop alejandro from doing this he shoots her in his bulletproof in her bulletproof vest and, and leaves so she just kind of like limps out with silvio so she kind of limps out of the tunnel and confronts matt um and this is like sort of the big emotional climax of the movie to an extent. There's sort of two. Yeah, this is like it. they're getting so close. You know, you're thinking like, oh man, they're so close to taking down the cartel. Like, what are they going to do next? Mm -hmm. And so and it turns out that the entire time the plan was to get rid of the Mexican cartels and replace them with Colombian cartels because, you know, they want sort of controlled opposition so that they can continue enforcing and their know, will. operating yeah. and. Yeah. in these areas and so um, you know it, it, at the surface you think oh well that's just your standard like harebrained CIA shit that you'd see in any other kind of action movie like this mm -hmm. but, the, but you know you dive into the history of it and we'll get which it, we'll, we'll get, get to that, that and bit. it's it's a bit funny so yeah it turns out that Alejandro is quite simply a hitman uh, and they're not using him to capture any of these cartel people but simply just burn a hole through all of them and, and kill as many people as he can yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, Alejandro uses Silvio to capture this cartel lieutenant and then murders Silvio. Uh, and then he takes, uh, the lieutenant takes Alejandro to the cartel headquarters before Alejandro murders him too. So it, it's like, this is the climax, and so at this point it's following Alejandro. Mm -hmm. And to your average viewer, this is like a, like, I'll admit, it is a cool scene. It's very tense. It is really well done action. But you take in the fact that this dude is on the payroll of the CIA to just 
indiscriminately kill these people. Yeah. Sort including of use cops. one person to go up the food chain and then kill them when they're not useful. Yeah. So um, he he sits. He finds this cartel boss, uh, the leader of the Sonora cartel, who's sitting with his family eating dinner. Um, and so he explains his backstory that he was a lawyer who worked for uh, the Colombian king Pablo Escobar, of course, real person. But after the collapse of Escobar's drug empire, Alejandro's wife and daughters were brutally murdered uh, in front of him in the early nineties as this Sonora cartel guy sort of rose to the top. Um, and so, uh, in a very shocking move, um, Alejandro actually kills this guy's wife and kids in front of him uh, before killing him too. Yeah, he tells him to fi- he kills his wife and kids and then tells him to finish his meal. Yeah, 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 because there's... He sort of lawyers it because the guy says, don't kill me in front of my kids. And <laughs> he sort of finds the lawyer loophole there. Yeah. Kills the kids first. Um, and so then the movie sort of finishes. I would honestly say that this is the real climax. The movie sort yeah, of finishes. This is, this is the scene that kind of makes you go, holy shit. Well, I mean, that the, the scene where he kills the kids makes you go, holy shit. But then this next one, I think, made me go, holy shit, even more. Um, this was sort of where you get the great, or where I pulled my sort of moral teaching out of this movie. Um, so the next day, he breaks into Kate's apartment as she's just sort of sitting there. Um, and at, or Kate, yeah, and at, at gunpoint, he forces her to sign a document saying everything they did was like legal and okay and by the book. And she tries so hard to, to let him pull the trigger and, and kill her and not give up on her morals. But in the end, she just can't bring herself to do it. And she signs the document. And so then when Alejandro leaves, she pulls her gun on him. But again, she just can't bring herself to kill the guy. And then the movie just ends. Like, that's it. Um, and I honestly thought that was one of the most depressing but also, like, realistic endings you could have to the entire yeah. thing. Well, Alejandro got exactly what he wanted mm-hmm. because he, he did nothing by the book. And that's the reality of these kinds of things is that, you know, these enforcement agents just see the law as those kind of inconveniences that they have to work around. Like, for example, when they're having Kate on so that they can operate at all on U.S. soil, but they never actually try and take anyone down on U.S. soil Mm -hmm. because then they'd have to give them a fair trial and arrest them and, you know. Yeah, like... I, and it's it's a due process for these people. It's a common sort of thing. Something in, that's just in the way. Yeah, it's a common thing in any law enforcement agency that you see these regulations that are are imposed on you as like something that are an obstacle rather than a way of actually administering justice in a just manner. Um, it, it's like um, you, and even like more lighthearted shows like Brooklyn Nine Nine is guilty of this. They made an episode out of falsely imprisoning a guy and having to find evidence for him. And yeah, I've never seen that. that. Like, literally hour 47 out of 48 before he's released. Oh, my God. And it's, like, it's supposed to be this, like, oh, look at Jake Peralta and how good of a detective he is. But it's, like, they locked up a dude for two days based off of no evidence. Mm-hmm. They literally they literally just locked this dude up because he had a past history. And then it just so happened that he was connected to a break-in. Yeah. So... Um, yeah, so the sort of moral lesson that I got out of this, and it's really depressing, you know, it's often said that, you know, whatever, evil triumphs when good men do nothing, but the sort of, what I sort of got from this movie, uh, or the point that I saw this movie making, uh, is that evil triumphs because good people can do nothing, 
Um, you know, the reason that Kate, as an objectively good person, is never able to stop Matt or Alejandro, who are objectively bad people. And by the way, I see a lot of people seeing Alejandro as an anti-hero or a necessary evil. He is not. If you think he's the good guy of this movie, you're wrong and pulling the wrong things from this movie. Um, I mean, that is, like you can you can look at it from the point of view of someone who you know holds law enforcement in very high regard and you know sees the war on drugs as a very important endeavor. But we'll get into why that's bullshit too. <laughs> I mean. If you look at what he does, I don't think if they were intending for you to pull the Alejandro as an anti-hero or a necessary evil out of this, they would not have gone to the lengths of humanizing uh, Silvio. Yeah, because he just murders him. Because um, he murders him in cold blood. Yeah. But anyway, so yeah, the reason that a good person like Kate is never able to stop a bad person like Alejandro is because she is too morally upright. To pull the trigger. She has him at gunpoint twice. in the final scene of the movie. No, she has him at gunpoint twice because she also has him at gunpoint when he is um he's kidnapping Silvio, right? And but she is just unable to stop him because she is just too morally upright to murder somebody in cold blood. And also the fact that she's focused on just getting it done, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. So she has taken the high road, but the high road means that she's not ever able to accomplish anything. Whereas people like Alejandro and Matt who take the low road because they're willing to just murder people uh, and just kill for the sake of it, they can get whatever they want done. And it's honestly one of the scariest uh, and most horrifying films I've seen for this precise reason because there's no, for me at least, the way I interpret it, there's no sort of greater moral purpose or sort of hidden beauty in this. It's just it's a fridge it's horror. It's not like the film ends with it turning out that, like, I don't know, the cartel leader that he murdered was... I, like, I don't even know. But there, there's no... There's nothing right at the very end that would justify all oh. of Alejandro's killing. Well, and you know what? I even... I forgot to add this to the plot summary. Um, the last scene of the movie is Silvio's mom takes him to play soccer. And he's oh, about and to he, score a perfect goal. His, 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 Silvio's kid like stands next to the bed. Yeah, I remember that. Well, no, no, no. He they well, he stands next to the bed, but then they go to play soccer, and then they have to stop the game because there's gunfire in the distance. Right, killing, uh, destroying this cartel did not stop the violence. It simply set the violence to a point where the CIA could tolerate it. Yeah. And so it's not any less violence. It's just a different person doing the violence. Anyways, um. So yeah, no, that's sort of what I pulled from it. So are we gonna now get into the history? So now that we've sort of we've done our analysis, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, I oh, think we can, and we by can the way, into... yeah, going after the bad guy does not make you the good guy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, just be yeah, just because Alejandro go is going after this kingpin. I mean, or same with Matt you, as well. You can't really. And you can't really put like a like sure he's avenging his family, mm -hmm. but he just he, he kills, you know, in the movie, and I'm not even gonna count the people you know these sort of cartel members that he kills. Yeah, just in battle. Mm -hmm. I mean, like the people that were introduced to that he kills on top of the family of the cartel boss, and then of course the cartel member. Mm -hmm. Like he just. But he... The, the reason he's able to avenge his family, and you know, I guess in in a sense, make an extra wrong, 
is because he's a bad it's person. Because he's willing to he's willing to pull the trigger. Yeah. And at the end of the day, that's what this movie is about: is that the people who brute force their way in life get what they want. Yeah, it's uh, what is it? It's uh, uh, um, strong men do what they want, weak men do what they must, or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I guess it's bad men do what they want, weak men do what they must. Anyway, so uh, we're gonna get into a little bit of the war on drugs uh, and the history of that here because. So. I mean, really, so it says here in our notes that 15% of soldiers in Vietnam ended up being addicted to heroin, even more regular uses of marijuana. I mean, the heroin use goes back to World War II. Heroin use goes back to World War II, but there was no real, like, war on drugs before that. The war, guess, The yeah. war on drugs sort of starts to an extent with Nixon. He didn't really go crazy on it. Um, so yeah, basically 15%. He attempted, so yeah, 15% of soldiers in Vietnam end up coming home addicted to heroin because it was used as a painkiller. Yeah. Uh, you know, and it, also because they were miserable and even more were regular uses of marijuana. And obviously, you know, this is the late sixties to them. Heroin and marijuana were like equivalent. Yeah. Um, so in 1969 to try and stop, uh, marijuana, Nixon attempts to basically all but close the Mexican border. But it, the local, like, state government sort of hate that because it's bad for the yeah, economy. Yeah, like the, the state governments are like, wait, you, you can't just do that. Mm. States' rights and all that. Yeah, so it lasts for 20 days. Um, yeah. And then he sort of gives up on it, and it's sort of, like, there's this sort of anti-drug campaign. Away. But it's sort of, yeah, it sort of remains in limbo. Um, so it, it, it doesn't become as much of a public issue, but the government, the U.S. government continues to crack down both on dealers and users sort of slowly over time. Mm-hmm. Um, um, and, uh, you know, this kind of, for our target audience, this kind of goes without saying, but I mean, they especially sort of target and victimize Hispanic and African American communities. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it's not so much a conspiracy theory that anymore that the CIA was moving drugs from Colombia, specifically cocaine, into um, inner city neighborhoods, and then cracking down on on crack dealers and users yeah uh so it's it's pretty awful um and but so it didn't was, really ask was under reagan in the 80s so yeah so it, in between it, nixon it and reagan up yeah and then... yeah like in between nixon and reagan like under ford and carter neither of them were particularly interested in it so it didn't really ramp up but um it, it didn't become an election issue. Yeah, and, it was and something that kind of happened. By the way, I just have to say about Reagan, he was a former Hollywood star. He <laughs> exactly. definitely did not have any issues with cocaine. It was quite simply... He was simply, a former Hollywood star, what was it, in the 70s? 60s, well, 50s to 60s-ish. But I, I bet you that that man had never even seen cocaine in his life before. <laughs> are you kidding me? He was a Hollywood star. Yeah, no, that's that's what I'm saying. Oh, like, I see, yeah. He's... He was he was in Hollywood in the the '60s. That man clearly had a history of drug use. Yeah, so I think like it's clear that like Reagan, there was no way he there was actually any sort of aversion to it. He just sort of saw it as a tool. Um, so Reagan yeah, make him look good. Yeah, makes Reagan, him look like he's just upholding the law. Mm -hmm. So he massively escalates the war on drugs. Um, one sort of theme that you'll see is that there's a big sort of rivalry between the FBI and the CIA, but also other sort of law enforcement agencies and then Imperial Tools, tools, aka the CIA. Um, and by the way, just like we were saying earlier, 
the FBI and these other law enforcement agencies are objectively better than the CIA in this scenario, but that doesn't mean they're good. Because they're bound to the U.S. The FBI doesn't have jurisdiction here. Well, and also they, anywhere they, they, they do take a moral high ground. Um, but, again, the FBI is in no way good. But, yeah, so the CIA, I mean, it's always been a sort of a political thing. There's always been a rivalry. Like, the FBI was never, like, a really political machine. They were always just, like, a sort of... I mean, they're police nerds. But um, the CIA was always this sort of country club American aristocracy type of thing. Like the Bushes, like George H.W., right? Um, like, so they're, they're Republicans. They're moderate Republicans. Um, and that's always been the way it works. Uh, so there actually was, uh, there was a time after um, J. Edgar Hoover died uh, in 74 that uh, he was the head of, of the FBI for a long time. Notoriously disgusting, evil man. We may do an episode about him. Um, after he died, uh, the FBI sort of became a little bit of a democratic institution and the CIA became a Republican, or it was always a Republican institution. Um, anyway, so where this really kicks off um, is in Nicaragua. So uh, these <clears throat> moderate left-wing rebels uh, in Nicaragua called the Sandinistas sort of took it over in a popular and largely nonviolent uprising. Um, and so in response, the U.S. Uh, supported these a group called the Contras, uh, which comes from Contra Revolution, uh, which means counter-revolution. Uh, and they were far-right death squads, basically. Um, I remember reading... Uh, a story, here's a, a content warning, this is bad, um, reading a story from a woman from Nicaragua, and her, I don't even know what it was, her brother's fiance or something had been involved with, with was involved with the Sandinistas. Uh, this was before they'd fully solidified power, and so one day she went out shopping for groceries for half an hour, uh, and when she got back, she lived with her grandmother and her kids and, and her husband, when she got back, her entire family had been murdered. Uh, they had cut off their heads and arranged the bodies around the table and put their heads on the dinner plates so it looked like they were eating their heads. They put their hands on top of them, except for her baby, whose hand was too small, so it kept slipping off, so they nailed the baby's hand to its decapitated head. Like, this is the type of person that the U.S. is supporting. Um, because, you know, we just couldn't have an actual left-wing uprising. Mm -hmm. And these, like, these were not even, they're not even Soviet-aligned. Like, this wasn't even a Cold War thing, right? These people were, um, like... They just figured they had a better idea of governance. Ortega, who was, like, the leader, had a friendship with Bernie Sanders. Like, that's the type of people these were. These were not fucking Soviet-style, uh, quote-unquote communists. Let's go Bernie. Yeah. Um, so, anyways, because they were, like, famously brutal, um, here I've got a list of all the, the war crimes they've committed. They have targeting healthcare clinics and healthcare workers for assassination, kidnapping civilians, torturing civilians, executing civilians, including children who were captured in combat, rape, indiscriminately attacking civilians in civilian housings, seizing civilian property, and burning civilian houses in captured towns. Uh, Congress passed a law that said the U.S. cannot support them. But, of course, Ronald Reagan absolute Holy legend that he was North. was he said no uh so they just sort of turned to much more like covert illegal and secret ways you know what's funny him. what if you look up oliver north on google right now you know what comes up what comes up under his name it's political commentator 
is like the first. It's he's an American political commentator, television host, military historian, and convicted author, war criminal. And and then right at the end, they mentioned retired United States Marine Corps Lieutenant Colonel. Hmm. <laughs> he he was involved in the Iran Contra affair, which is pretty much selling was it missiles yeah so by the way this was this is very funny because iran and america have always been enemies since the revolution and at this time hezbollah who was like an iranian ally was holding seven uh american civilians hostage uh in lebanon and they sent these missiles to iran under the uh the pretext of sending them to israel to stop hezbollah anyways keep going so they they're Selling these weapons to, yeah, the, the Khomeini government in the Islamic Republic of Iran. Yeah, so they're negotiating the release of these hostages. And then all this man, Oliver North, decides to uh, use his brain and divert the proceeds directly from the arms sales straight to the Contras. Yeah. So they had been... They had specifically prohibited this. Mm -hmm. Like the U.S. was the reason he wasn't. He was granted limited immunity for testifying before Congress, Mm -hmm. and then all charges were dismissed against him in 1991. Yeah. Um, So essentially, yeah, the Iran Contra affair is sort of the biggest uh, non like non drug related uh, propping up secret propping up of the Contras, uh, and that was. You know, very famous. That's Reagan's big scandal. They should have impeached him over it. Um, but, yeah, he, he broke the law. There was a law that said the U.S. couldn't support the Contras, and he did it anyways. Um, so, uh, what happened? Uh, the other thing that turned to after Iran-Contra was the dictatorship of Manuel Noriega uh, in Panama. So, Noriega was the leader of Panama's sort of military government. Um, and they had used him uh, to funnel weapons to the Contras, even though he was essentially single-handedly propping up uh, Pablo Escobar's Medellin cartel in Colombia, which was, like, the cartel. Um, Pablo Escobar was, like, insanely rich um, from this. He he ran drugs for basically the entire world for a period of time. Um, and so this is where this sort of FBI-CIA thing comes to a head. So the FBI, the Department of Homeland Security and the Drug Enforcement Agency are all pushing. They're like, you have got to do something about Noriega. But the CIA says no, because what the FBI doesn't know and what the Department of Homeland Security and the Drug Enforcement Agency don't know is that the CIA are running guns to the Contras through Manuel Noriega. Uh, And in return for him helping there and providing other military support to the Contras, they are turning a blind eye to him essentially just being a part of this uh, Pablo Escobar drug empire. Um, because they want to own the commies. Not even the commies, but I mean, yeah, the like, more you look into recent U.S. history, the more you learn how many millions upon millions of dollars. Billions. How many lives have been lost in the pursuit of owning the commies. Yeah, it's pretty funny. And also pretty scary. Like, it's, it's funny depending on how lighthearted you are about it. Um... Yeah, no, so they, they decided, um, so they, the CIA just kept pushing back on this idea. They're like, no, we've got to keep Noriega in, and, and no one really knew why. But, but then, then as, soon as, as soon as the Sandinistas shoot down a plane carrying um, 
weapons earmarked for the Contras, as well as documents about what was going on in Panama. The U.S. was like, huh. Shit, 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 Maybe we shouldn't be supporting this guy anymore. Yeah, so, <laughs> so they... So they decided to invade and depose him, you know, your standard yeah. U.S. playbook. And, uh... So he, he died, died in prison. prison. Yeah. Um, so, you know, as a result of that, that was sort of the last straw for the Contras. The U.S. just kind of had to stop supporting him. Um... So they were largely crushed by the Sandinistas, uh, and also as a result, Pablo Escobar's drug empire fell apart. Um, so because of that, so the U.S. had obviously been sort of turning a blind eye uh, or offering very minimal resistance uh, to, to Escobar. But as a result of that, as a result of his empire falling apart, the U.S. was like, hmm, maybe now we will do something about drugs. Um, so they start giving support to Colombia, which, by the way, is a, a evil, evil dictatorship, uh, to quote unquote combat cartels. But they're not really combating cartels as much as they are combating the FARC, who are so this Marxist uh, revolutionary group, um, who eventually uh, they do run drugs now uh, because they joined up with the cartels because they're both being targeted. But at the time, they were like an honest-to-God revolutionary group. And so all these U.S. soldiers uh, and U.S. advisors and stuff like that in Colombia were not fighting a war on drugs. It was just another counter-revolutionary action. Again, um, another, another movement attempting to own the commies. Mm -hmm. And by the way, the FARC, it didn't work. Like, the FARC eventually, I think it was like three years ago, signed a peace deal uh, and are now like a regular political party. But um, it didn't work. Um, but yeah, no, there, if, you, if you just look up, like, Colombia drug war, the amount of just massacres that you'll see that are being committed by the government is kind of horrifying. Um, you know, they always claim that the FARC are the bad guys, and, and to an extent, like, they use child soldiers and stuff, like, they're not good guys, but... I mean, yeah, I feel like you have, yeah, we have to stress that just because they're on the left doesn't, doesn't mean, mean they're that good. they're necessarily good guys. Yeah. We might agree with who they're fighting, but again, in the spirit of this movie, just because you're a bad, just because you're fighting a bad guy doesn't mean that you're a good guy. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, this is sort of the point uh, at which uh, everything would go to, to hell uh, for, for uh, Alejandro. Um, so they, uh, another thing they do, which is kind of funny, they still do it to this day. Um, if you remember Vietnam, you remember Asian Orange, uh, Ancient Orange was just one of a bunch of other different sort of rainbow agents uh, of these ridiculously powerful pesticides that were dropped over. They they were tr well they were trying to drop them so that their soldiers wouldn't have to contend with guerrilla warfare because mm -hmm. it's hard to hide in when there are no trees fields when there's yeah. no trees because they've all been killed off by you know oh these herbicides are fine for people they don't cause any actual damage when you drop them and of course except for the fact that we, you know we find out. 20 years later that it's causing birth defects. Mm -hmm. So they stopped using Agent Orange, but they still actually drop different colors of Agent uh, over Latin America regularly. I, actually, I wasn't day. aware before doing research here that there was, yeah, there was like a whole rainbow, because I'd obviously heard of Agent Orange. Mm -hmm. I think... You point to that as like your first, like you, like introducing people to the fact that yes, the United States has committed war crimes. Yeah, that's a chemical weapons what, attack. What you first point to. Mm -hmm. But I didn't realize before researching all this that there actually was a whole other rainbow of agents. Yeah, I think Agent Green was tested here in Canada. Um, anyway, so they still drop 
uh, other agents uh, or things that are like very slightly removed from them so they don't have to call it agent color anymore um, over Latin America to this day um, to sort of flush these people out. So um, yeah, 20 years down the line, there's going to be an inquest into this because there's going to be a billion birth defects. Um, so well, it's like the it's like the depleted uranium that they used in Fallujah is now causing birth defects. Oh yeah, yeah. So it wasn't so depleted then. Yeah, I guess not. Um, I didn't know that. So uh, yeah, so that's sort of what went on with like the main drug war, and then that sort of calmed down after the Contra thing, because after the Contra thing, it actually became about drugs. Um, again, so you know, after Reagan, you get. Bush Sr. Uh, and again, Bush Sr. was a country club American aristocrat and a lifetime politician. He used cocaine. Like, he just did. He, he indulged. He indulged. Uh, he was also a member of the Skull and Bone Society, so he probably used cocaine there too. Uh, there is a very interesting story about the Skull and Bone Society, uh, a coffin and his son that we shouldn't talk about on air. Um, so, yeah, uh, Bush, again, he made it about drugs, which is sort of where, where it started to shift to Mexico, because after Escobar's empire fell apart, um, cartel activity largely shifted uh, to Mexico. Um, so they sort of, you know, as they tend to eventually, um, all these cartels in Mexico sort of centralized uh, uh, under uh, our guy, not our guy, but he's famous, you'll know him. Uh, El Chapo. Anyone, anyone that's a, a Netflix aficionado will recognize El Chapo. Is there, I not, mean, is there a Netflix Narcos. thing about El Chapo? Narcos. It's like no, that's what Pablo Escobar. Oh. Right. Yeah, that's why I didn't introduce him because I figured people know about Pablo Escobar. No, El Chapo yeah. is the one who's still in prison. Remember? Right, yeah, and there's all, you'll, every few months you'll see a news story about how, like, some different person refuses to snitch on him, mm -hmm. and everyone's, like, so shocked. Yeah, it's and like, oh, like, no, why would they not snitch? Are you really, are you really gonna, gonna snitch on El Chapo? Like, for what? What can the government offer you? Yeah, um, so El Chapo was, like, uh, is, I guess, a huge Mexican, uh, cartel kingpin. Um, he has been captured several times by the Mexican government, uh, sent to various prisons and escaped in very impressive ways. Uh, I think the most recent time he escaped from prison, they built a 15 kilometer long tunnel uh, from his toilet uh, all the way to 15 kilometers away with like electricity running water and lighting. Um, so this guy really, he lives his life. Um, but now he's in a prison in New York with no windows, uh, and he's on like the 15th story or something like that, so I don't think he's escaping anytime soon. But he was uh, a, a big kingpin. He was sort of, as I mentioned during the plot summary, uh, what the Sonora cartel leader was, he was sort of supposed to be the El Chapo type figure. Um, but cartel activity in Mexico is, is very, very, very bad. Um, so ever since this sort of drug war, I guess, started, um, like, like from like 2006 is sort of when the, the official date of the start of this Mexican drug war is. 
uh, over 115,000 people have died from organized crime, right? You're getting uh, 500 Mexican soldiers and 4,000 Mexican police killed um, over, you know, about 150,000 cartel members killed. Um, so it's, it's like a basically borderline civil war um, in Mexico. And it's caused a, a ridiculous amount of instability. And, and the thing is, is that Mexico has a very tough time dealing with it because the cartels are so rich. They throw around so much money uh, that they could just... If you're opposition, they can either buy out your contract, and if that doesn't work, just send someone to kill you. Yeah. So right? there, there's, there almost is no opposing them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um... So people try, and people disappear, uh, and it's, again, like, this type of instability is caused by the, um, by, by the Cold War. Uh, I think it's, it's pretty obvious that, um, the, the best way to deal with drugs is not by punishing the people who use them, not by trying to murder as many dealers as you can, not even by going after the cartels but by making it not a criminal issue, but a mental health issue, uh, and legalizing all drugs, or decriminalizing at least all drugs. Uh, and, and Because if you, make it, uh, if you make it somewhere where someone can actually profit off of it, mm -hmm. obviously people are going to do whatever's in their power to maintain that. That's... Yeah. Well, also, also... Re reap what you sow when it comes to the free market. Also, right? If yeah. You, if you want to, if you want to try and push for a free market, you you can't be shocked when some people sets up in a sector of the market that is considered illegal because it's still going to be profitable for them. You know what's worked really well? Getting people to stop using cigarettes. I I was gonna say uh, nicotine, but obviously, vaping has come and blown that all up. But getting people to stop yeah. using it's it was really effective because they didn't make tobacco illegal right they didn't shut down the tobacco companies oh, what they did they just stopped them from advertising they stopped them from advertising they mandated like they did a really good education campaign about the dangers uh, and I'm, I'm pretty sure that in in canada in ontario at least we have like those huge like i think they're haven't they actually banned the companies having the logos on them at all yeah, you're not allowed logos. It's literally just the name of the company that's on the cigarette box, and then as it's well like as the pictures of people with cancer warnings and like the the pictures and everything. Yeah, um, and you know, like you will be like stigmatized at least in Canada if you smoke in like a public space because it smells bad. But like it's not like if you're like I'm addicted to cigarettes, no one's gonna be like, oh, you addicted piece of shit. Yeah. Whereas people who are addicted to heroin or cocaine are treated that way. Um, and I think, like, honestly, like, the best way to stop people from using drugs is to let them use drugs and then treat them for it. Um, would have saved a life in my family. That's all I'll say. Yeah. It would have saved a lot of lives. Um, you know, right now we see this opioid crisis. And, again, I think the Canadian drug response is very good. Uh, but it's it, it, it could I definitely mean, be still... better. Dude, I, I'm not f exactly familiar with the drug code, do, I, but I don't think we have mandatory minimum sentencing for drug charges. No, 
We don't. Um, Where, which is still something that the, I mean, you hear it even in cop shows. They'll talk about how this much, you know, this much cocaine is 15 years in prison, mm-hmm. and the fact that you can just be sentenced if they can prove you had it right away—that's 15 years of your life gone. It's horrifying. And then obviously, you know, as we've gone through this entire, you know, guerrilla war, yeah, to, to <laughs> stop people from. <laughs> having a line or two yeah um well clearly it doesn't work because you know they're, they're, and there's even like the stereotype of of you know people in hollywood using cocaine mm-hmm. and it's like just almost almost normalized at this point yeah yeah well because the thing is like it's normalized in exactly the wrong way right yeah. like cocaine yeah, it's like a, oh ha ha look at look at these rich people they they it's do cocaine rich glamorous but also damaging which i mean i yeah. guess damaging is true but like it it just you just you gotta treat it like a mental health issue because that's what it is it's not anything else beyond an addiction right and i i just i don't see any other way of, of fixing this because the only way that these cartels are going to profit uh is going to be are not going to profit anymore is if their people stop buying their product and if people stop buying their product, they're only going to do that because they're not using it anymore. And you're not going to do that by just saying it's illegal. You go to jail for 15 years. Yeah, and you're and you're also not going to do that by you know bumping off a couple of cartel leaders, posting a photo on Instagram with 15 kilos of cocaine, and giving yourself a medal for it. Yeah, I mean, look how well prohibition worked for alcohol in America. <laughs> Fuck. We did. We did get some cool hats. That's true. That's true. Um, and and some well dressed Bostonian men. Exactly. Um, but I mean, apart from that, I I, I yeah. Anyways, um, so the U.S. still supports Mexico in their drug war, um, and to an extent, you know, when it is this violent from the cartels, like you have to respond in violence. You can't just sit by and be like, yeah, uh, we'll just let them murder journalists who, you know, investigate us and investigate corrupt politicians but um at the same time like as well as you're sort of waging civil war you have to you have to address the root of the issue which is the addiction but um a lot of the u.s support to uh to the drug thing goes towards fighting um cartels yes but also uh, another specific group that here at Juno Beach we like very much, which is known as the EZLN, or the Ejército Zapatista de Liberación Nacional, uh, or the Zapatistas, um, and they are uh, very cool. They're uh, in the south of Mexico, um, a Mayan indigenous sort of communist or socialist uh, uh, libertarian self-defense group. Um, they build a lot of schools now. They have a peace treaty with the government. But before, essentially, they had uh, started organizing to fight the cartels because the cartels were specifically bad to Mayan indigenous people. Uh, and then the government was like, what's this? Armed indigenous people? Armed leftists? We can't have this. So they cracked down. Um, and so... I guess they've they've sort of disarmed at this point. Uh, they're not they're not taking up arms anymore, and they're trying to garner international support and Mexican support. But um, 
the Americans did help a sort of a war against uh, them for a while, quite simply because they were trying to defend themselves in the cartels. So it's not, again, the Mexican government is not the good guy here. Um, and if you're looking for a more recent consequence of that, I think there is a very specific uh, a man and, and a specific idea for the U.S.-Mexican border uh, that's been getting a lot of attention in the past five years um, that would be a direct result of this, uh, this drug war. Obviously, the man is the footed Cheeto himself. There's a freaking Cheeto in the White House. Oh my god, guys. We have to get him out. We have to, guys, we have to literally abandon any and all policies because we cannot have a Cheeto in the White House. Guys, he's orange. Holy. Guys, what if someone eats him? <gasps> what if someone eats the president and... Wait. Wait, hold on. Is he a puffy Cheeto or a crunchy Cheeto? Dude, he's a puffy Cheeto. Come oh, on. it's okay then. It's okay. I'm fine with him being in the White House. I like puffy Cheetos. Dude, same. Bro, but yeah, face. I mean, Trump just... Classic, like president showing up and not knowing what to do yeah we're just gonna build the wall here and that's gonna fix literally everything yeah um never mind the fact that the most common way of smuggling drugs across the border is with tunnels tunnels and also the fact that most um most immigration happens most at undocumented legal point. immigrants get to the u.s by overstaying visas or yeah and and most asylum seekers go through legal points of entry um so I, th I mean, this is not this is not a a debate magas. No, it's like, not. We're not looking to debate Trump supporters because frankly, if you're a Trump supporter, frankly, who the hell is a Trump supporter in 2020? If you're a Trump supporter, I understand that there are many economic ideals. I'm serious. No, I, I mean, so am I. I mean, I I understand the economic anxieties, but if you're a Trump supporter, you're just an idiot. Like. <laughs> I don't think there's really any way. Maybe maybe history will prove me wrong or something. Maybe Trump is secretly space Jesus. Maybe maybe yeah, Trump gets a second term and he he establishes like he may manage to reach full communism or something. Trump like... establishes socialism in China by 2050. <laughs> <laughs> guys, guys, it may be an oligopoly of heirs, but like they're called the Communist Party. So like Well, I mean, that sort of convinced me Xi Jinping thought that's we how you could, do it. Okay, we could we could also do a China episode. Yeah, we'll do a China episode. Um, but there's I've I've been trying very hard. I don't know how well I'm doing at convincing him. I'm trying very hard to uh, convince Declan to do an Emily Blunt series of movies. <laughs> I I really want to do Mary Poppins too. Be, so the long and short of it is Malcolm has a massive crush on Emily Blunt, and he wants an excuse to see as many of her movies as many times as he can. I mean, it's true, Which... but you don't have to be mean to me about it. <laughs> um but no uh so this might this might end up being episode one in the uh the emily blunt movie review series it might known as juno beach podcast <laughs> we'll run out pretty quick but anyways um yeah there are a few and we might do other movies i think this one went pretty well i think there are a lot of interesting movies that tie into to, to tie world the events. things we like to talk about, like the U.S. being bad. Mm -hmm. uh, an idea. Another. Oh, what's the idea? Apocalypse now. Or like, or just any, any Vietnam War movie. Like maybe not Apocalypse Now or like Full Metal Jacket because those are both pretty like critical and blatant. But, 
I think we could maybe do our best to review like the most jingoistic Vietnam War movie. Mm. I don't have one off the top of my head, but like, I think that could be an interesting episode to sort of contrast this, you know? Yeah, not a movie that's sort of making a point about U.S. bad, but we can take a U.S. good movie. Yeah, that'd be fun. Um, and yeah, I mean, movies are, are always sort of good fodder. We have a few, um, since last time we talked about this, we've added a few different ideas for, for future Friday episodes. One that I'm really looking forward to doing is this sort of idea of uh, the politics of getting to Mars. Because uh, ever since... Who owns it? Oh, who owns is it, Mars? Is it, is it first come, first serve? Is that how Land on Mars is going to work? Is Elon going to charge you, like, a billion dollars a month? He or... might. Uh, we can talk about laws in space later uh, on that episode. Up, is he going to set up his son as, like, the the uh, the supreme leader of Mars? XIA12. I thought it was... Kyle. Oh, yeah, it is A12. Yeah. It's, yeah, I remember the tweet where it's, like... They're talking about, like, Grimes is talking about um, the the logic behind the name and talking about the A-12 and how it's their favorite military aircraft. Like, of course Elon Musk and Grimes have a favorite military aircraft. Well, because the A-12 was the predecessor to the SR-71, and the SR-71 didn't have any guns or missiles. It just went really yeah. fast. So The black the, the Blackbird. Yeah, the, yeah. Yeah, the one where... There's that often repeated story about the um, the guys who are flying over like an air checkpoint. They're listening to the radio chatter. Oh, that's a and good the, one. There's there's this like guy in a propeller plane who like calls for a speed check from an air traffic controller, and then this like Air Force pilot, and, like I think he's like in an F-14, is like thinking he's hot shit, and he calls in for a speed check, and then the guys literally in like the ten seconds they're flying over this air traffic control zone. They radio in and get a speed check that's like five times the airspeed of the F-14. Well, it's yeah, I mean, the SR-17 had a max speed of something ridiculous. I think it's like four times the speed of sound from Mach 4. I'm going to look it up. Yeah, and it, it's, it's designed, it literally leaks fuel when it's on the ground because it goes so fast that it heats up so much that it the outside of it expands mm -hmm. and then manages to seal the fuel tank when it's up in the air because otherwise it would explode. Yeah, so uh, 33,529 kilometers per hour uh, and for those of you who speak in Mach, uh, that is exceeding Mach 3. Uh, yeah. So that's... Uh, I'll have you know I play War Thunder so I'm pretty much an expert on planes. Mm. That's good. All that's right. good. So I think we've... I think we've just about talked about everything we wanted to with regards to Sicario and maybe yep. some future plans. So I think that's going to about do it for this uh, Friday episode yep. of Juno Beach Podcast. Bit of a shorter one, 10 minutes shorter, yeah, that's all right. We, we didn't run quite as long, but really it's not like it's a news episode where you have to, no. you know. And there will be news see. next time. There is some stuff oh, that we could have talked about today news. that we didn't, we didn't talk about it today because we're going to talk about it on a Tuesday. Yeah. So, so I think that about does it. Mm -hmm. I'm Declan. I'm Malcolm. This has been Juno. Thank, Thank you, you very so much. much for listening.